has Jesus made in your life, what would you tell him or what would you tell her? You know, you can even think of a day like today. It's a nice and beautiful sunny day outside. I'm sure people are going to want to go out and, and go driving. And you might come across somebody, a friend of yours, and you guys might sit and have coffee. And you get into a conversation about how was your day? Oh, yeah, you went to church, and, and what did you learn at church today? And uh, they, they, they might start asking you questions like, well, why do you, what makes Jesus so special? What difference has Jesus ever made in your life? What answer are you going to give them? Now, the immediate answer might be, might be this answer. It might be, you know what, my eternity is what's different because I was a sinner, or I am a sinner, and because Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross, I'm going to now have eternal life. My destiny was going to be hell, but now my destiny is going to be heaven. Could you tell somebody that? Could you say, this is a difference that Jesus has made in my life? The destiny of where I'm going, that's a difference Jesus has made. And they might say, well, yeah, you know what? That's great. I'm glad that you say he's changed your destiny, but you haven't got there yet, right? How many people here have ever been to heaven? How many people have ever seen hell? No, no but none of us has. And that's a, a point in life where it's going to be either you're right or you're wrong. You've got a 50-50 chance, when, but it's, it's too late when you die. And you're not going to be able to come back and convince somebody, yep, I saw heaven, now it's real, and I didn't know it's really there. And so you want to put your faith in Jesus. And so what other evidence could you give, or what other reason could you give that, uh, that Jesus has made an impact and a difference in your life? I'm going to ask this several times throughout this message. What evidence could you give? Now, some people are going to have a dramatic testimony of this is what my life was like before I met Jesus or when I first met Jesus, and this is what my life is like now. Somebody who's lived a life of crime. They've been in and out of prisons. They've, they've shot people. They've been the drug lord. They've, they've done everything bad that you can think of. Anybody ever hear a testimony like that where my, my, they, before they got saved, it was terrible? And they, they have a very exciting testimony because God took them from this and brought them all the way over here. Has anybody ever heard of an exciting testimony? I have. I've heard of people who were in jail, people who were into drugs, and people who were into all sorts of things, now completely different. And so you, it's, and you see the difference in their life. It's kind of like this chart where you have uh, dramatic differences because they were so bad. You know, just, just one person who's, who's lived a life of crime says, okay, I'm not going to steal anymore. They start to look better. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> cheat on my taxes anymore. I'm not going to be the hoodlum and harass people. You're going to see a dramatic difference in their life because it was so bad, right? Right? And now, how many of us fit that situation? How many people here spent time in prison before you came to know the Lord? Or were a drug runner from South America? Or shot anybody? Me neither. My life is a lot more simple. So I have a very simple testimony. I, like probably most everybody here, I went to, to church from birth. You know, from whatever point my parents said, okay, I can take this squirrely two little kids to church, we started going every Sunday to church before I, I knew what it was about. And so my whole life, has been in church. My parents were Christians. I was raised in a godly home, and they made sure that I walked the straight and narrow. And so I did. I didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to go live on the wild side, not while I lived at home. And by the time I moved out, I really believed what I believed, and so I didn't go that direction. But guess what? Even if your life is a simple, you have a simple testimony of this is what my life was like before I got saved or when I first got saved, even if it's 
This minimal, guess what? There is still a difference that Jesus has made in your life, I hope. What difference has he made? Are you, if you've been a Christian for two months, or 20 years, or 50 plus years, I hope there's a difference between what your life was like when you first got saved to what your life is like now. I hope it's a, a big difference. It might go like this a little bit, but I hope the, the gradual process, it's getting better and better and closer to be like Jesus. And today we're going to look at a man who has the dramatic story. He's the guy who lived, everything about his life was wrong before he met Jesus. Then he, he, Jesus came into his life, and there's a difference between these two, and it's very obvious. What is that difference? That difference is Jesus. And the guy says, that difference is Jesus, and then he tells everybody, the difference in my life is Jesus. So first we're going to look at this man's life without Jesus. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 27, we're going to be from 26 to 39, but we're going to look, start with Luke chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. And it is the story of the man who is demon-possessed. It says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. So last week, if you were here, we left Jesus and the disciples soaking wet in a boat, right? Because they were in the Sea of Galilee, the waves are going like this, the water's crashing in, the disciples are trying to bail the water out of the boat as fast as they can, and finally they realize we're going to drown, and they go wake up Jesus, and Jesus wakes up, he, he kind of gets to the edge of the rocking boat, and says, peace, be still, and the boat kind of goes like this, and it calms down. Well, that's where the disciples at, but they're, they're wet and they're in shock that Jesus has the power to do this. And so they're on a destination. They're on their way somewhere. They're on the way to this spot where Jesus is going to have this dramatic encounter with a man who is demon-possessed. And as Jesus and his disciples, they put the sails out, the sun comes back out, and they start going down the Sea of Galilee, and they start getting closer and closer to shore. And as they get closer to shore, some guy comes running down the mountain, if you look at Matthew, it says two men, but it, it looked there's only one, probably because this was the guy who's from the town, the one that everybody can relate to. This other guy was probably just another crazy person. But the person that Luke is talking about is someone that the people of that day would know specifically. Anyway, he comes running down the mountain, comes towards Jesus, and he's screaming, and he's yelling, and Jesus steps out on the boat, and he's trying to cast out the demons out of that man right now. And the guy comes, and he falls at Jesus' feet, he, he's on his hands and his knees, and I don't even think he's looking up at Jesus. But this man is tortured by the demons. And it says, now demons, if you're not familiar with them, they are fallen angels. Satan, or Lucifer, was up in heaven. He got pretty proud. Look how beautiful I am. He says, I want to be equal with God, or I want to be higher than God. And so God booted him out of heaven. All the demons that, or all the angels that went with him are now called demons. They are trying to conquer the world Satan's way instead of uh, obeying God and loving and serving him the right way that they were supposed to. And so this man is demon-possessed. It says this man is from the town, which the town is probably about six to eight miles away. The region of the Gerasenes was just kind of like the surrounding areas, and it happened to come down towards the water where this guy is at. Well, while he... Um, this guy is from the town, and it, it doesn't say how this guy got demon-possessed. You know, because 
possibly this, I picture this guy was a normal person. He had a wife, he had kids, he went to work every day, and somehow he got demon-possessed. Did he take drugs and somehow influence of that by the demons? Did he start messing around with spirits and demonic things, and the demon said, hey, here's an open door, let's go into this guy, and let's possess this guy. But this guy has been driven off by the demons to a lonely place, up, up by the tombs where the dead people are. And it says that he is naked, and that he, is, he lives among the tombs. And a tomb would be something that looks kind of like this. It could, be, it could be a cave, or it could be a hill with, uh, that was dug out deep inside the cave, and it might have stairs that coming down, and it might have shelves with dead bodies. Not the kind of place that people want to hang out. The demon said, that's a great place to go because nobody is there. But that's also a scary place because that's where the bad guys would go because nobody wants to go there. That's where the poor people would go if they needed a place for shelter. But it was, it was dark, it was dirty, it was smelly, and it was not a pleasant place to be. But that's where this guy lived. And I don't know if you, what you think about a person who's demon-possessed because every time I have heard this story, I always think of, like the Incredible Hulk, and, and he's a guy who's mean, and he's mad, and he likes to hurt people, and he likes to torture people. But reading through the other Gospels, in Mark chapter 5, you find out that this guy is in misery. He's crying out because the demons are possessing him. And it says that he's cutting himself with rocks and sharp objects. You know, and I think that the demons are messing with his mind, and he's in agony, and I think that's, he, he's like, I can't bear it. I, the, the demons inside my head are causing this, feeling in, in this direction, and I can't handle it. And he's, I think he's, you know, he's just, he can't handle it. He's, he rips his clothes off because he's, he can't do anything else trying to get rid of these guys, and he's cutting himself because he has so much stress and so much agony. And there's, there's so many demons in this guy, they're just having a heyday with this guy. But this guy is in misery, and he is going to be, he's being tortured by these guys. He's not just, wow, I'm, a, I'm an evil guy and enjoying it. He's living a terrible life. And the demons, when they come down and they get this guy on the ground, they're, sta they're staring at Jesus, say, hey, Jesus. They're asking Jesus, do not torture us. Verse 28, it says, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, the, the demons, they know that they, what's coming. They can look in the scriptures they know what God has told them, that they do have an ending point. They are not going to be free to live this life however they want to for as long as they want. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, if, if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, so they're going to go to a place known as the abyss. And these demons do not want to go there. I need to, uh, I have a slide here I need to point out. This guy was a strong man, okay? I, I'm, I apologize for going backwards, but the next slide is, this guy was somebody who was bound by chains. He had shackles around his ankles, and he could tear them apart because he was so strong. They tried to put guards on him, but that was the impact that the demons had in this man's life, and they are trying to wreak havoc as long as possible. But they're, they're asking Jesus, please, do not send us into the pig, or into the, to the abyss. They do not want to go there. But just the fact that they have to ask is something that's pretty amazing. But we'll get to that in a minute. Jesus is talking to the demons. They're saying, hey, please don't send us into the abyss. And Jesus starts having this little conversation with them. In verse 30, Jesus asked them, well, what is your name? He said, Legion, 
because many demons had gone into him. Now, legions is a term in the Roman army for 6,000 soldiers. Now, I don't know if there's 6,000 demons inside of this man, but that's an awful lot of demons inside of anybody. I'm sure he's, there's a large number, probably not 6,000, but these guys do not want to go into the abyss. They know that it's up to God, Jesus whether or not that happens, but they do not want to go. So they say, hey, Jesus, there's a large crowd of pigs up there up on the hillside. Can we go into them? Verse 32 and 33 says, A large crowd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. As, as soon as Jesus said, yes, you can go, those demons took off out of his body. I'm sure this guy's body was kind of convulsing back and forth. The demons are splitting. They're flying as fast as they can get to those pigs before Jesus changes their minds. Now, I picture up on the hillside, you have uh, 2,000 pigs. You find out, Mark, that there's 2,000 pigs. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with pigs. When I, whenever I see a pig, I, I see them at the fair, and all they're doing is laying there sleeping. They're big and they're fat. I'm sure there's little piglets that move around like, like little kids, but for the most part, they're just content to lay there and gain weight. And so I'm picturing you have 2,000 pigs up on the hillside. You have, a, you have some shepherds, not shepherds, but the caretakers of the, the pigs are sitting there with the straw in their mouth, and they're, just, they're bored out of their gourd. They're just waiting for something to happen, for my shift to end, just waiting, making sure nothing is going to harass the pigs. And they're, they're talking about life, and they're taking it easy, and all of a sudden... The pigs start oinking, they start squawking, they start jumping to their feet, and the, the caretakers are jumping to their feet. They're afraid, what in the world is going on with these pigs? This is very abnormal, and they start watching these pigs go charging past them down the steep bank, and it's so steep, and the, it's like the pigs just keep going, and they go into the water. As if the land kept, go, kept going, all these pigs went rushing into the water, and they were drowned. Now, how many people here think that pigs know how to swim? Raise your hand. I think pigs know how to swim. Okay. I didn't think pigs knew how to swim either, so I did a little research. <laughs> pigs know how to swim. They actually like the water. Besides just looking up, I like Googling a picture of pigs swimming, I actually did the research and found out that pigs like to swim. And so these, it's, I don't know if it was the pigs there versus the pigs here or different kinds of pigs, but in general, they like to swim. So the pigs are going out there. And they're drowning. They're like probably all on top of each other. But the, the thing is, I think the demons have control over these pigs. I think they are, they're all about destruction, and they're trying to kill the pigs. They're trying to wreak havoc. And I think once they kill the pigs, they just go off and wreak some more havoc somewhere else. But I think they're just all about trouble and all about wreaking havoc that they cause these pigs who normally at least know how to swim for a while to start drowning. And it's interesting that they had to ask, the, uh, the, the, the demons even asked Jesus for permission in the first place. I, I mentioned that a little bit because it just goes to show you that nothing in this world happens unless God allows it to happen. Even the demons have to ask for permission from Jesus to leave, to go to get into pigs, which may not seem like a big deal, but it is. And the, the most famous story in the Bible was with Job, when Satan was going to and fro and he, he starts Jesus starts pointing out how good Job is, and Satan says, oh yeah, you just keep his body healthy and you give him everything he wants, of course he's going to love you. So Satan, or Jesus tells Satan, you can attack 
his, everything you have, he has, but just leave Job alone. But he had to have permission. And so Satan wreaks all, wreaks all this havoc. And then it comes down to Satan, uh, to Job, I'm sorry. Uh, Jesus tells Satan, you can touch Job's life, but you can't kill him. And so Satan does the max of what he can do, but he can only go so far because that's what Jesus will allow. And that's the same thing you find here. And now if you are not walking with the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, the fact that all these bad things happen in life can be very scary because you don't know why, you don't understand what's going to come next. But if you're walking with the Lord, you can have a little hope, you can have a little confidence. Uh, I was reminded of this two weeks ago, uh, we, when the kids in Awana, they say verses. Well, we have the leader say verses sometimes too. Every, anytime I can get a leader to say a verse as well, I'll do it. Well, Scott came up here and he said Romans 8.29, or 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Everything that God is doing in my life, he's working out for good. It doesn't sound like that, because not all of life is good. But in verse 29, it says, those he, pre, he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. His goal isn't just to make life happy. His goal is to make me more like Jesus. So when life is going chaotic, I can still relax and I can still trust God because he has a purpose in it, in it all. But you have this dramatic story of a man who's living his life without Jesus. And I'm sure everybody knows where that is going to go. But there's a lot of people today who live their life without Jesus. And I know everybody in here knows them. It could be your coworker who's living their life without Jesus. It could be a teacher. It could be a nurse. It could be somebody in the oil field or the gas field or the bank or the grocery store, wherever it is, there are people you know today living their life without Jesus. It could be your neighbors, my fellow ranchers, the people right next door who don't know Jesus, down the street, the people on the other edge of town who are living their life without Jesus. My teammates on the football field, on the basketball court, on the volleyball court, this, the other students walking down the halls that I see at school, there are people living their life without Jesus. Anybody who goes to the grocery store, you're getting parts for your car, you're getting parts at, or you're getting food to eat, the people behind the counter are living their life without Jesus. Everywhere we go, anywhere you go, people are living their life without Jesus. And those people have issues, they have struggles, and they have turmoil in their life. It may not be demon possession, but it is something. It might be marital troubles. It might be family troubles. It might be uh, the storms in life that come, and they don't know how to handle this medical issue that I'm facing. Uh, the, the, the gal who hit the deer. I'm sure there's lots of people there who are, are struggling right now. I don't know if they know the Lord or not, but they're struggling with the fact of somebody's going through this medical issue, the storm in their life. There's people who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. People are struggling with drugs and with alcohol and with... Anything you can think of, people are struggling, struggling to live their life without Jesus. Now, you might look at that list and say, you know what, Josh? I, I struggle with uh, my kids, too. Yeah. I struggle with my marriage. I struggle with uh, depression. I struggle with all these things. But you know what the difference is between the, these, this list of people? The difference is Jesus. They're, they're doing whatever they can, substance or whatever they can turn to, to get them through those things. But you have hope. You have Jesus. Your life is not going to be perfect, but if you're living with Jesus, you have confidence in something in God to get you through those storms of life. 
Now, I want to I come back to this fact that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to get to this guy. And I, I think that, that's a pretty big thing to think of because he went to a place where everybody was afraid of this guy. The disciples, how many of you think that when Jesus stepped out onto the shore, this guy comes charging down the mountain screaming at them, how many think the disciples jumped out of the boat and said, hey, my name is Thomas, my name is Peter, I'd love to meet you. I think they're all in the back of the boat thinking, wait a second, we just were in a storm, how come I'm going through something else? You know, they're trying to stay away from this guy. But guess what that guy needed? The guy who was demon-possessed, what did he need to change his life? He needed Jesus. That's why he was the way he was. And we need to be willing to get out of our comfort zones, get off the boat, go to those people in life who need Jesus, because that's what they need. Whether it's the person at work who's, who, who shows up to work well-dressed every day, they look like they have it all together, and they, and they are healthy, and they get along with their kids, and everything about life seems to be fine. If they don't, need Je- if they don't know Jesus... They need Jesus. And the person who comes to your mind, who is the last person in the world you think would ever come to Jesus, you think is the, big, the biggest jerk, the person who has offended everybody else in town, the person who is the biggest anything, however de- descriptive words you want to give to them, guess why they are the way they are? They need Jesus. We want to say that there's some kind of standard that you should just treat people nice because they're human, But it doesn't work that way. These people are the way they are because they need Jesus. And we need to be the ones who get out of our comfort zones and go and share Christ with those people. Now we get to start to see the man's life with Jesus, verses 35 to 37. It says, And the people went out to see what had happened, because the the people who were taking care of the pigs, once the pigs took off down the water and they saw that they had drowned, they took off to town. They said, we got to get some help. we got to get rid of this guy. And, and say, tell everybody what in the world this guy is doing. So they all come to meet Jesus. And when they found him, they found the man whom the, with whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet. He was dressed in his, in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. They found this guy who, would, who was clearly doing something different from what he normally did. He, he, he was dressed. This guy wasn't wearing any, any clothes. I'm sure this guy was clean all of a sudden because he's down by the lake. They probably helped him get bathed. They helped him get some clothes on. He's sitting at Jesus' feet instead of running around away from everybody like, like a scared person. He's, he's now at Jesus' feet, and he's in his right mind. He's sitting there just with Jesus, and it's all okay. And that's a dramatic physical change that has taken place in his life. Now, not every time when... When somebody gets saved, there's going to be this dramatic physical change because most people look like you and I. We, we dress fine, we, we bathe, we, we wear our clothes, everything. We're, we're in our right minds, and so you're not going to have that kind of change. But there could be a dramatic spiritual change, and I think this guy experienced that. I think someday when we get to heaven, we're going to come across this guy, and he's going to say, hey, guess what? It was me. I was the guy who was running around terrorizing everybody, but I'm a new man because of what Jesus did. But none of us have yet arrived. There should be a change in us from the first day we knew Jesus up until now. This is what my life was like. This is what my life is now. Even if it's not a dramatic change, there should be something changing constantly in my life to become more like Jesus. Uh, In your bulletin, there's this from a song, uh, a goal. I want to get so close to Jesus, get so close to him, 
that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. When I get to heaven, I don't want it to be like this big transformation. I want to be as close to Jesus as I can be. In Romans 8, 29, his goal is to make you like him. He doesn't want us to run around status quo like I'm always, I'm a Christian and I stay like this my whole time. And then I get to heaven and then all of a sudden I get this massive transformation. He wants me to gradually grow and become more like him. My goal is to get so close to him that it's not a big shocking change when I get there. And that's not always easy to do. But nobody has yet arrived. Some changes are easy to make. Sure, I was, li- I was in the life of crime. Obviously, I don't want to do that anymore. But some changes are a little bit harder because we all sin. We all struggle with temptation. And the thing I always say about temptation is it's tempting because it's something I want to do. But sometimes it means saying no. In 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. This isn't an option. Whether you want to or not, i got to stop the sinful things in my life and start doing what God wants me to do. But not everybody wants that. Not everybody, they, they see the change that Jesus has made in somebody's life, but not everybody wants that. And you probably know people who have, who have shared the gospel with, who have, who have witnessed the change in other people's life, but they do not want it. And that's what you find with this big crowd of people. All these people heard what Jesus had done. And a demon-possessed man, they saw all the floating pigs out in the water. They had proof two ways. They see the pigs, and they see this man sitting there in his right mind. And what do the people do? They say, go away. We do not want you here. We were content with life the way it was. Sure, there was this demon-possessed man, but as long as he didn't bother me, I didn't really care. Um, but you start, you, t- you start taking away my livelihood, and you start affecting my life in general, I don't like it, go away. And a lot of people respond that way with the message of salvation when they see the work that Jesus has done. And there's people today, you know, I, I've heard of stories where people have, I was in the in crowd. I had all, I was, we were all into, in a gang. We were all into all the mischief. But I get saved and all of a sudden, everybody who I knew starts going away. They say, yeah, Josh, we see that transformation in your life. We don't know how that you are different how you stop drugs and how you stop this life of crime and how you stopped all these activities. And it's great that it's worked for you, but we don't want that. And that's what you find here. The people are like, you know what? That's fine for you. I don't want that for me. But, but in, the, in, the, in the, the comic, it says, sure, my new car is really thin, but I don't care because I plan to travel through the straight and narrow. Keep going on the straight and narrow anyway. Don't go back and say, boy, I don't know if this is really worth it to be following Jesus because... Look at everything that I'm giving up. Don't even entertain those thoughts. Say, my goal is to become more like Jesus every day. My, my, that's my goal. And if they don't like it, I'm sorry they don't like it. But Jesus has done so much for me. My goal is to become more like him every day. And as you start to become different, the best thing you can do is to give credit where credit is due. And that's what this man does, verses 38 to 39. It says, the man from whom the demons had gone out Begged to go with him, begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. It was very obvious that this man was a scary demon-possessed man, and everybody wanted to stay away from him. It's very obvious that there's something different in his life. And he doesn't just say, Yeah, I got lucky, the demons left, or, or whatever. He says, You know what, there's a difference here. The difference is Jesus. I'm going to give Jesus the credit for the difference in my life. 
And when people look at you because you, your life is different from the way it used to be, and it's from today you, you start changing in your life, trying harder to become more like Jesus, and they start asking you, what is the difference in you? What are you going to tell them? Are you going to say, man, it was willpower, because I know the world doesn't want to hear Jesus. Are they going to tell them, man, I just decided I don't want to do this anymore? No, you're going to tell them that Jesus is the difference. In 1 Peter verses 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. Yes, this verse is talking about why I believe what I believe, but it also can work for the difference that's in your life, from, from the way I used to be to the way I am now. What is the difference? The difference is Jesus. Be willing to say the difference is Jesus and give Jesus the credit. So, for one, so one more difference, or one more time. What difference is there in your life from the day you accepted Christ as your Savior until now? Is it, is it a change that's gone like this? Is it a change that's kind of gone like this? Or is it a change that's been like this? There's like really nothing different. All I have from Jesus is just eternal life. That's all I have. There's nothing different. I hope that you can at least be going slowly, gradually, becoming more like Jesus every day. And whether it's drastic or whether it's small, there should be a change. And I would encourage you and challenge you to make the change obvious, to make the changes that need to be made in your life so that you become more like Jesus. I want to challenge you to make it your goal. I want to become so much like Jesus now while I am on earth so that when I get to heaven, it is not going to be a big change. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you, God, for your grace. I thank you for your patience, God, because I don't deserve all the chances that you've given me. God, I know there hasn't been changes in my life that I should have had um, even at this point, and I know I have more work in my life to do, so I just pray that you would help me to make big strides in my life to become more like you. And anybody here, God, who really who feels the same way, that they need to become more like you, I just pray that you would help them to have the courage to say no to the things that are wrong, to say yes to the things that are right, and just give you the credit, God, for the changes that you make. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for your patience, and I thank you for this message. In Jesus' name, amen.